Invite, if you would, to take a Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's there on page 744. Luke, chapter 20. I'm going to start reading in verse 9. Luke writes, Jesus went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also beat and treated, was also beaten and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, may this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on him whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, have you witnessed one of those moments when someone asks another person a question and you can almost cut the tension in the room as everybody waits to see what the answer to the question is going to be? Um, it could be something somewhat inconsequential. Let's say an athlete has an incredible game, they're a freshman, they're, they're the talk of the town now, and, you know, and the reporter may ask something to help inflame their ego Help them say it's all about them, right? And you can almost see the coach over in the corner like, Lord, please help them. Right? Whatever he says in that moment, there's huge consequences perhaps for the team, morale. Or maybe uh, I think about law courts, courtrooms. And I think about someone on the stand and the attorney is asking these questions. And, and the person on the stand is doing their best to kind of duck and dodge. But they're pushing in and they want to answer to a question that has great consequence. My favorite scene or dramatization of such a thing is um, A Few Good Men. Those of you who are old like me know that. Right? Tell the truth. To which he responds, what? Can't handle the truth. Right? You're just like, oh. Like, he wanted to say it so badly, but he knew that there were consequences for what he said. In a way, I, I think that's kind of the, the scene that we're entering into here in Luke chapter 20. Jesus has been carrying out his ministry. He's been causing issues. He's been causing a ruckus. He's famous. But Jesus is now coming into Jerusalem, and the religious leaders are going to have to respond to who he is. No longer are they going to be able to kind of duck and dodge, but Jesus is bringing the fight to them, and they're going to have to deal with him. 
And so Jesus comes in, in Luke chapter 19, turn in there in your Bibles, the, the tension of the story is, is wonderful. He comes into the temple, and he doesn't come to the temple just to make friends with the other influential people, but he comes to the temple, and it's that famous scene where he turns over the tables, and he drives out those who are buying and selling in the marketplace, and he says, this is my father's house. It ought to be a place of prayer. And so Jesus comes in, guns a-blazing. And he doesn't just leave, he stays. And he's teaching. And the people love to hear Jesus teach. They love to hear Jesus teach the scriptures, perhaps in part because he's correcting a lot of things that they've heard wrongly over the years. Perhaps it's they're hearing this approach to a relationship with God based on grace and mercy that they haven't heard before. And so Jesus is there, and the people are hanging on his words. And so the religious establishment, they have a problem. They have a problem. If they let Jesus continue on and doing his ministry as he is, they stand to lose. They stand to lose their position of power and authority and wealth and gain from the temple. But if they oppose Jesus, they stand to be um, on the outside of the mass of the people. Instead, so they, they find themselves in this really rocking a hard place situation. What are they going to do with what are they going to do with Jesus? And so they, they come to Jesus and they ask him a question. And they say, Jesus, by what authority do you carry out your ministry? And so it's like the microphone is placed before Jesus and he has a chance to say the source of his authority in his ministry. And everybody's waiting to see what he's going to say. And Jesus says, tell you what, I'll ask you a question first. And if you answer my question, then I'll answer your question. What, what would you say about John the Baptist? What would you say about John the Baptist and his ministry and his authority? Did he come from heaven or was he just sent by man? And it's a wonderful twist in the story, as is often the case, when people in the Gospels try to trip Jesus up with a question. Um, they don't understand that, that they're about to be undone in front of everybody. And so now they have this impossible dilemma. What do we say about John the Baptist? If we say that he is from the Lord, that he's from heaven, then we're going to have to answer to why we opposed his ministry. If we say he's just from man... We're going to be on the outs with all the people who love John the Baptist. And so what do they do? They say, uh-huh. We don't know. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do my ministry either. And then he tells this parable to the people. So there was a rich man who planted a vineyard. And if you go back and read... If you're interested at all, Isaiah chapter 5, there's all this imagery about God calling his people a vineyard or a vine that he had planted. And the idea was that the people would live in obedience to the Lord and they would produce fruits for God's kingdom. But rather than fulfilling their purpose and their mission in the world, they turned away and they were disobedient to the Lord. And they did not bear the fruit that they were supposed to bear. And so how did God respond to their disobedience? He sent them people called what? Prophets. He sent them prophets. 
Um, one year for trunk or treat, somebody should dress up as a prophet. Just saying. Isaiah or Jeremiah, maybe. Though you would only want to play them fictionally. You would not want to be them in real life. Um, they had hard jobs. Um, their job was to come to God's people and call them back to a life of faithfulness and obedience. So the prophets were a sign of God's grace and a sign of God's mercy, but they came with messages that people didn't always want to hear. Most of us would like to hear that we are fine, well-adjusted, great people who are doing the best that we can, just keep doing you, correct? That's an attractive message to hear. And the prophets had the unenviable task of saying, all of you are sinners and all of you are wrong. And you need to repent and return back to the Lord. And by and large, um, how would you say the prophet's message was received? Not well. Not well. By and large, they didn't listen to and repent um, and respond in obedience to the prophets. So eventually, they were sent into exile because of their disobedience to the word of the Lord. And it's like Jesus is using this parable of the tenants and the farmer to, to kind of give you this overview of salvation history, really. That God did this work of salvation in the life of his people. He gave them everything to flourish. They disobeyed against him. He sent prophets continually to bring them back. Eventually, they did not respond in obedience, and so they were punished. And then the farm owner says, well, this is not working out too great with the servants. I've sent three now. All three of them have been rejected. I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. I'll send my son. Surely they will respect him. Now, imagine yourself working for someone who owns the business. And maybe, like, you can dismiss like the lower people in the hierarchy. But if the sun shows up, like that's another level of serious, correct? The sun is here to represent the father. And in a way, Jesus reads himself into this parable, probably, according to most commentators, the only time he really does this, that he reads himself into a character in the parable. And he comes as the son. And sending his son, I think, is both um, a sign of his love and care for the people. Those of you who have children, um, most of you would not send your children on a dangerous mission, correct? But he loved the people so much that he sent his son to try to bring them back. And rather than see that as a sign of God's grace and kindness and forgiveness, they saw that as an opportunity. An opportunity. That if we do away with the son then everything will be ours. And if you think about this parable as a story of God's overall plan of salvation, you don't have to go to seminary to kind of see the point, correct? <laughs> like the writer of Hebrews would say, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to us through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Therefore, we ought to pay even more close attention to what God is saying to us through, through Jesus. And so they find themselves between a rock and a hard place. They know that Jesus is talking about them. 
They know that they have to respond to him. And Jesus says, here's the thing. I am the fulfillment of Psalm 118. Could you imagine being there that day when Jesus is like, here's a psalm that y'all have read, the stone that has been rejected has become the cornerstone. And guess what? I'm the stone. Right? And you're going to reject me to your own destruction. And here's the, here's the thing that, that you and I need to wrap our minds around. Is that Jesus went into Jerusalem. He knew what he was doing. He knew that he was going in to be not just a prophet to God's people, but the word of God in flesh. To take the message of salvation and hope that was found only through faith in Christ. And he knew that he was coming as a prophet. And he knew how all the prophets before him had been treated, even as late as John the Baptist. Do you remember how John the Baptist ended up? And so Jesus comes in, and he comes in to Jerusalem to force a choice and to force a decision. And you and I, sometimes we act as if Jesus is, is a person that we can respond to if we feel like it, or maybe not if we don't. We can kind of manage Jesus on the side, and we're grateful for the salvation piece, but the whole obedience piece is kind of up to us. But here's the thing, Jesus, Jesus can't be dealt with that way. That Jesus is either the Son of God, who he says he is, and salvation is available through faith in him and him alone, or not. You go read Acts chapter 4, when the church is just birthed and Peter's preaching, he refers to this passage from Psalm 118, and he says, Hey everybody, salvation is found in no other name except for Christ. He is the cornerstone. And as I read the passage, I'm really prone to identify with the good people in the passage. Do you ever do that yourself? If there's a good good and evil in a story, are you normally good or evil? Good, right? I, I am. I told the first uh, congregation this morning as I was preaching through this that this happens to me all the time. Um, I am, I've told you before, a baseball fan. I am watching the Major League Baseball playoffs. And there's one team in particular that I equate with the dark side. Okay? They did really terrible things in the past, right? And they got caught. And I just feel like they got off scot-free. And there is this thing within me that I want justice. Right? I want them to pay for what they did. And it just feels like every time I watch them on TV, it's just like rubbing it in my face, Right? Here's, here's the thing. I can read this passage and think that I'm the people in the temple hanging on every word that Jesus says, and I'm so glad that he's here. But i got to admit to you that there's a part of me that, that I'm part of the religious establishment if I'm not careful. That my life is generally calm. My life is generally peaceful. Things are going well for me. And Jesus comes in, and if I live under his lordship, I have to be ready for him to upset the apple cart from time to time in my life, correct? And Jesus doesn't give me the option to say, well, I'll deal with you later, or thanks for the advice. 
and he comes to me, and, and I'll tell you, as I read through the Bible and as I wrestle with who God calls me to be, I can just tell you I see more of myself in those people who were caught in fear at the opinion of others and not willing to be obedient to God's call upon their life. And maybe you do too. And maybe if I was in that dugout making millions of dollars, I might have partied, partied on with it too, right? That, that, that all of us have a way of kind of seeing other people for being the people who are bad. But ultimately, the good news of the gospel is that all of us, all of us are in need of God's mercy and grace and kindness that he brings to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we come to faith in him, we will spend the rest of our lives seeking to know what it looks like to live in faithful obedience to his lordship in our life. And there will be moments where we want to push back. And there will be moments where we want to say, all right, your lordship stops here. That's good enough. I'm good here. But Jesus doesn't come to us like that. He comes to us. He says, you got to make a decision about who I am and what I've done. And if we confess our faith in him, then it's on us to live obedient lives under his lordship, trusting that whatever he leads us to is ultimately okay, for our good and for his glory and honor. And the good news about that life that is better and harder in obedience to Christ's call upon our lives is that it puts us on a firm foundation of Christ the rock. The only thing I can tell you, or one of the only things I can tell you for sure, is that hardship has come into your life at some point. You're like, well, thanks. It's true. And there are moments where being obedient to Jesus is actually going to make your life harder. But as we pursue obedience, as we walk and live under his lordship, the truth is that in all of those seasons, you and I are building our life on that firm foundation that ultimately can't be shaken. So, I don't know where you are in relation to Jesus in this passage today. Um, if you've never given your life um, to Christ through faith, never confessed your sins and repented and turned to Him for salvation, then perhaps that's what, what God's calling you to today. Or if you're in the place where um, you're like me from time to time and you find yourself to be a chief priest and scribe and Pharisee, both in my evaluation of other people and also in my fear to be obedient at points. Maybe the call upon your life is to choose Christ and his lordship and obedience, knowing that whatever it costs you, um, it's so much better than what you're going to give up. And it may be as you live your life of faith this week that God uses you to be a witness to Christ. And you might be afraid to do it. Maybe fear. Maybe worried about what you're going to lose if you live into that. But it's just this call upon your life to know that whatever you go through, whatever you experience, Christ will be with you. He will be your sure foundation. I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace and kindness. Lord, we pray that you would um, help each of us to yield ourselves to your Holy Spirit at work in us, that you would 
Show us the places where we need to be conformed more into the image of Christ and yield ourselves to your Lordship. We pray that you would help us to believe that every word that you give us is one of grace and mercy, that you are pursuing us. And Lord, that you would help us to, to live under your Lordship, trusting that we need your grace and mercy every step of the way. And help us to choose to build our lives on the firm foundation of Christ. We offer this prayer in his name. Amen. Um, however it is that God's leading you to respond, if it's to come forward and make 